The gospel lesson comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 and 26. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you by worrying at a single hour to your span of life? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Kate, for reading those scriptures. These are just a few. There are hundreds of references in the scriptures to birds. And the passage from Job is a reminder to the people of faith then in, in, the, in the Hebrew scriptures, but ask the animals and they will teach you. The birds of the air, and they will tell you. As we were reading this, Pastor Sharon to me, said to me, and the raccoons too. Yes, yes. And, and then in the scriptures um, from Matthew, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly parent feeds them. Jesus is saying, look at the trust that the birds have. Maybe we can glean some of that trust. To trust in the midst of great pain, great struggle, great unknowns. All good religion helps us process our pain, transform our pain so that we don't transmit it. Because we all know that if we do not let our pain be transformed by God, we will transmit it to others. And that just sows more seeds of hurt and grief. We um, come to church to choose another way to find a way that is helpful not only for us, but for all people. We come to church as Christians to try and sort through all of the madness of our lives and of the world. This morning, another hurricane hits the U.S. These are the hurricanes we hear about, but there are hurricanes and disasters that happen all over the world that we don't always hear about or we don't choose to hear about. And and we're called again to summon up more compassion, which is hard. I, I get the sense that sometimes we have compassion fatigue and we don't know how to keep caring and there's so much need. Another mass shooting this week in, in Las Vegas and we shake our heads and we, we, we wonder what can we do that's more than just prayer to make this world, this country in particular, a more safe place, a more civil place, a more just place. And we process our own losses. This week our congregation lost two of our saints. Dale Canfield and Doug Davis entered life eternal. And we grieve their loss because we know how much they both loved this congregation, this church, how much they loved the Lord Jesus, 
and somehow we are less than as a congregation without them. I have heard numerous people over the years say to me in hospital rooms, I don't know what I would do without my faith. And I don't know what people do without faith, without Christian community, without a sense that God is God and we are in God's care. I've heard so many people say to me, I don't know how people do it without that because I am so dependent on God right now in this space of vulnerability. And the sad thing is, more and more people are looking for meaning without Christian faith, without the church, maybe with God, maybe without God, but not with community that helps them look for meaning together. That's one of the gifts we have, is that we walk through these difficult times not alone, but with one another. People who come alongside us and care for us, people who come alongside of us and share the questions with us. What does this mean? Where is God in the midst of all of this? There are mass migrations happening of people leaving the church. Friends, the next generation is very articulate about why they are skeptical of Christianity in this country. And young people are very clear on seeing if a Christian church is authentic or hypocritical. The next generation often looks at Christianity and says, I want nothing to do with them because they're anti-gay, they're judgmental, they're anti-environment, they're anti-science, they're anti-reason, and it just doesn't match what I'm learning in school about good science. How does good science and good religion come together? Good science and good religion are very good partners, but not all churches are believing that, and we're not in control of our message. <laughs> There's a lot of people who say that they're Christian and who are writing off good science and writing off good anthropology and writing off good spirituality and good understanding of humankind. We've got a tall order if we are going to meet the next generation as a church. There's not only a migration outside of the church or moving around the church, no longer flocking through our doors as they did 50 years ago, but there's a migration within Christianity in the West. There's some shifts going, and some of those shifts are very hopeful and very holy and very inspired. In the next three weeks, I want to lift up three migrations that are happening within Christianity that I sense are happening here in Chatham United Methodist Church and in other churches. And I just want to lay out a framework that might be helpful for us as we recognize what's happening in society and what may be happening in our midst. You passed on your way in a stack of books 
by Brian McLaren called The Great Spiritual Migration, how the world's largest religion is seeking a better way to be Christian. Brian McLaren was a pastor for 20 some odd years. He then devoted his life to, to teaching and to writing. He's written probably 20 books or so. And this is his latest book. And there's numerous podcasts out there. If you listen to podcasts in the car, just do a search on Brian McLaren, The Great Spiritual Migration. Christians throughout the world are seeking him out and asking him to speak. And he, he's got his finger on the pulse of something very significant in Christianity in the West. The tenet of, of his work, and by the way, some scholars refer to him as a modern-day Martin Luther. Um, in fact, some church historians say every 500 years, there's a cosmic garage sale in the church where Christians decide what's really essential and what do we need to let go of. A thousand years ago was the great schism between the East and the West in Christianity. 500 years ago, almost, almost to the day, it was this month, Martin Luther in 1517 started the Protestant Reformation in a significant way. And the church had to decide, what are we going to keep and what are we going to pitch? What's really essential? What's not essential? 500 years later, this is where we are. And we're going through, Christianity in the West is going through a garage sale. What are we going to keep? What are we going to pitch? What's really essential for us as followers of Jesus? He says there's three spiritual migrations happening in the church now. And, and let me just lay out the three, and then I want to flesh out on one. One is churches are moving from a system of beliefs to a way of life. Christianity as a system of beliefs and dogma and creed to a Christianity that is a way of life and a way of love. That's one spiritual migration that's happening within Christianity in the U.S. The, the other is a migration of God image, a God image from a, a stern, judgmental, violent God migrating to a God who is nonviolent and a God who can only love. That migration is happening. And in some ways... Society is saying the violent God image hasn't worked because it's produced violent Christians. A nonviolent God image, we have a better chance of being nonviolent Christians. The other shift is moving from organized religion. <laughs> is anybody attracted to organized religion? When you say the word, there's nothing really attractive about it. God is moving churches from organized religion to reorganizing religion about care for the common good. Instead of just being satisfied with organized religion, the Spirit is saying, you're organized around the wrong thing. Organize around care for the common good. first movement 
Let me just read just a few reflections. I'm very glad that Nate Yarger is here back from college. I said to Nate on the way in, I said, I'm glad you're here. I'm going to be preaching a little bit about good science and good religion. He's studying to be a rocket scientist. So, science. How many scientists are in the room? Martin, Sherry. Okay. Scientists like facts. But scientists, good scientists, are not wed to the facts. They are wed to the scientific method. Huh? The scientific method, if they are true to the scientific method, certain facts will be debunked. Certain facts will become outdated. Certain facts will be textbooks that are tossed into the dustbin of history. What would Christianity look like if we were not wed to the facts, but rather we were wed to a method, Methodists? If we were wed to a process, if we were wed to a way of living the Christian faith, with prayer, with reading scripture, with community, with care for the poor, with worship regularly, if that's our method, certain facts may not be as important. Do you see where he's going with this migration from a belief system church to a church that is a way of life? He says if we're going to move to a way of life, we need to keep looking at Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Jesus didn't have a set of belief systems that motivated us. What motivated Jesus? Love. Love, always. Of the many radical things said and done by Jesus, his unflinching emphasis on love was most radical of all. Love is the greatest commandment, he said. It was his new commandment, his prime directive. Love for God, for self, for neighbor, for stranger, for alien, for outsider, for outcast, even for enemy. And he modeled this. The new commandment of love meant that neither beliefs nor words, neither taboos, systems, structures, nor the labels that enshrined them most mattered. Love decentered everything else. Love relativized everything else. Love took priority over everything else. Everything. Love was not only at the heart of Jesus' teaching, it was also the heartbeat of his life. The disciples see a bunch of noisy children and try to send them away. Jesus welcomes them. The disciples see a crowd of hungry people and try to send them away. Jesus feeds them. The disciples see a woman of another culture and religion and ask Jesus to send her away. Jesus listens to her and meets her need. A crowd refuses to show common courtesy to a social outcast named Zacchaeus. Jesus sees him up in a tree and treats him with dignity and respect. A group of prestigious people at a formal banquet look at a disreputable woman with disdain. Jesus sees her as someone who has loved much 
and so must be forgiven much. His love even brings him to tears. In story after story, without a single exception, we see the driving motivation of Jesus' life is love. And so this is the thesis of this chapter by Brian McLaren. If Christian faith can be redefined in this way, if our prime contribution to humanity can be shifted from teaching correct beliefs to practicing the way of love as Jesus taught, then our whole understanding and experience of the church could be transformed. That's why I'd like us to take a fresh look at the church as a school of love. This is an aside, but so this, this morning on my way out of church, my family and I, as, as we're going to our, our, our two churches, we remind each other, hey, you're the beloved of God. And, and I said, I'm off to the school of love. And my kids looked at me a little strange. Wouldn't it be different if we just started referring to going to church? I've I got to go to the school of love. Listen to what the school of love might look like. These are skills that would be taught in the school of love, otherwise known as the Christian church. These skills would include common courtesies, gratitude, admitting weakness and failure, self-reporting emotions, expressing hurt and disappointment, confronting and forgiving, asking for help, Differing graciously. Surfacing and negotiating competing desires. Taking the first step to resolve conflicts. Upholding wise boundaries. Saying yes and no. Winning and losing graciously creating win-win outcomes, speaking the truth in love, speaking truth to power, asking good questions, requesting feedback, opening one's heart, giving gifts, seeking wise counsel. Are you ready to enroll in the school of love where Jesus is our teacher? Amen.